0: Good morning and happy Thursday to you. The week is drawing near to the end, but we are not to the end yet. We are, however, at the beginning of the morning together here on Roadmap to Heaven. It's 7 a.m. Let's get down to business today. Let's let's get to this work of prayer, and then I'll tell you what's coming up on the show. We are going to pray, as always, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary... I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart, in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. O most blessed Mother, heart of love, heart of mercy ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayer. As your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son, Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, today on the show, we have some wonderful stuff for you. Um, We're going to bring you an excerpt of a conversation that I had with Dr. David Keys recently. Dr. David Keys has some uh, great writings and and just great thoughts. Fascinating man. Wonderful to sit down and talk with. About the integration of science and faith, or, or faith and science. And how faith is not exclusive to science, and science is not exclusive to faith. Um, everything goes wonderfully well together. You just have to, uh, you know, you, you have to, you have to look with eyes of faith. Um, so we're going to bring a part of that conversation. We're, we don't have time to bring you the full conversation. It was, you know, it was one of those ones that I just kept asking, "Can we go longer? Can we go longer?" Because it was fascinating. But. I'll have some more information for that you on how you can hear the full conversation for you later. We're also going to be talking today with Dr. Scott Hahn, Shock, surprise! We're actually wrapping up our conversations with him about the Blessed Mother today. We are going to get to what we intended to talk about yesterday: Mary as the Ark of the Covenant, and then, uh, of course, in between all of that, we'll be talking with Doug Barry about the tools we have in the spiritual war that rages around us and seeks to entrap us each and every day. So we'll have some more tools for you in that battle. That's all for us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. I'd like to share with you uh, a note we we got here at the station yesterday. It was really a, a wonderful thing because, you know, when we do morning prayer here on the show, you can't see because it's radio. But I have on my desk here one of those big plastic, sheet protectors. It's its the very rigid kind. You know, you could make a sign and put it on the counter if you had a store with a cash register or at a reception desk in an office. You know what I'm talking about, one of those big plastic things that holds a piece of letter-sized paper. And for the last two and a half years, I've had it on my desk with the morning offering. And every morning, every morning on the show, we pray the morning offering together, and yet I have it on a piece of paper. And the novena to the Immaculate Heart of Mary that we've been praying all month, I've got that pulled up on my computer monitor in front of me every day when we pray it. Why? Because I don't want to be distracted by worry that I'm going to forget the words. The Memorari is my favorite prayer, but every time I have to pray it on the radio, I blank and I trip up on the words, so I have it open in front of me. Now, when we're over in our devotional chapel area here in the studio praying the rosary and afterwards we pray a Memorari for any intentions, no problem praying the Memorari there. The minute I'm under pressure, you got to pray this on the air, don't make any mistakes, it's the Memorari, I need to have it in front of me. I don't know why it is, but, you know, it's good that I recognize I need to have it in front of me. So someone wrote in yesterday to the station about a resource that we had provided and said, you know, I am so grateful to have these prayers written down in this resource you provided because I get distracted and having the prayers in front of me, helps me concentrate. Having the words right there in front of me helps me concentrate. So I want to give a shout out uh, to that gentleman who called in or or who wrote in because, uh, one, um, thank you for not making me feel alone in this. And I want you to know you're not alone in this. But I also think it's just a really good practical reminder for all of us. I don't know why we, we feel the pressure to have this memorized. I mean, when I was in grade school, I had to have all the 50 states memorized and the 50 state capitals memorized. And if you asked me to do that now, it's probably not going to go well. The states I'll get. The capitals, not so much. Um, The Great Lakes, the countries of Europe, the countries of South America, of uh, Asia, so on and so forth. And I I forget all of the ones we learned. I think the whole world, the whole world. The maps changed quite a bit in the uh, 25 years since that happened. But the prayers, you know, I did have them memorized for religion class, but I want to pray them well and without distraction. So if you're like me and you're like the gentleman that wrote in, have the prayers in front of you. If you need prayers to put in front of you, give me a call. I'll send you the same resource. Send me an email here at the station. We'll we'll get it out in the mail to you. It would be my pleasure to send you a a little pamphlet of prayers that you can carry in your purse or in your car, take with you everywhere you go. We do have quite a bit on the show today, so let's, without further ado, go to the weather here and uh, find out what kind of day we have in store.
1: Today is the feast day of Saint Agapitus, who was a martyr. We know of Agapitus because of the efforts of Saint Jerome who made a list of the early Christian martyrs with as much detail as he could gather so we would never forget their sacrifices and so that the rest of us would come to know Jesus through those sacrifices. Born around the start of the third century, Agapetus came from an area called Palestrina, not far from Rome, and he was likely the son of nobility. In his mid-teens, he converted to Christianity and almost immediately was accused of being a Christian, a fate punishable by death. He was condemned by the Roman Emperor Aurelian and taken to the arena where he was thrown to wild beasts. However, they refused to attack him, so he was then beheaded. He was likely around 16 years old. St. Agapitus, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day.
0: Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Well, we told you before the weather that we wanted to bring you this presentation. It was a segment we were originally producing for the show this morning, and uh, we just aren't going to have time to put the whole thing in. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the segment here in a second, and then we are going to tell you that after the show, we'll put the entire interview in the podcast. We will put the entire interview in the podcast so it gives you a little incentive to listen to the show this morning and then listen to the podcast this afternoon and you'll have to pardon me on this because i get in this habit sometimes you know i I don't think it's a secret that sometimes based on the guest schedule we have to pre-record interviews And I'm always in the habit of trying to figure out what to say at the beginning. So if you hear me say, we are back, it's true, we are back, but we've never left you in the first place. So let's go to this excerpt uh, of our interview with Dr. David Keyes on science and creation. We are back. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven this morning, and you may have thought it's summertime. We're going to get a break from all of the academic uh, parts of life, at least any of the kids listening might be thinking that this morning but no, not today. in fact we have a really fun topic today. Uh, David Keyes is a physicist and theologian who's with us this morning and David heard us talking with John Martinoni a while back about the account of creation, the two accounts of creation in Genesis and he called me up and said, Adam, you're on to something here. We got to talk some more about this because so many people in the world say oh, Genesis and, and that story of creation, that is incompatible with science, and that that couldn't be farther from the truth. And let's get the good word out there. So David, well, you have to come on the show then. You can't just tell me about it. you got to come join us. So David Keyes is with us. He's the author of Discovering the Fullness of Reality, How Partial Truths Obscure the Union of Faith and Science. Dr. David Keyes, it is so good to have you with us this morning.
2: I'm so glad to be here. It's been a lifelong journey to get here. But it's where I'm at right now.
0: So for most of your professional career, you're a physicist working in the field of medicine. And then at a certain point, you say, you know what? I'm going to go get my master's degree in theology. And you do that as well. And now you speak extensively about this. But there's so much we could talk about. Let's dive in right into the book of Genesis. What is it that you say or how do you first respond when someone says no Science would disprove everything about the creation accounts in the book of Genesis. Where do you start?
2: I start with the idea of what reality is. And is reality just a narrow little thing like particles? Or does, is it all inclusive? Is there more things to life than just particles? And, of course, the most important things of life are non physical. Love, truth, honor, justice, various things like that. They're truths. So the Scripture... Is full of truths and science is full of truth. They cannot contradict each other. If they do, then one is wrong or they're both wrong or you're looking at them the wrong way. And that's really the case. And as, when you boil it down, science answers the questions what and how do things happen? Religion answers the questions who and why do things happen? And once you realize that you're looking at the same thing from a different view, like looking at a diamond from different things, you're looking at the same truth, and they have to merge together. And it turns out that religion and Genesis and science both say the same things when you look at them properly.
0: Well, I'm assuming that you have some examples here for us this morning. So let's dive right into a few of them.
2: Of course. Okay. So what does Genesis really say? Genesis says that the heavens and the earth were intentionally created over a period of time by God out of nothing in an orderly fashion for the benefit of man. What does science say? The science says that the universe was fine tunedly begun over a period of time by an unknown means out of nothing in an orderly fashion and is anthropic that is suitable for man. So we have these five things that we can show that they're talking about the same thing, being intentional over a period of time, out of nothing, in an orderly fashion, for the benefit of man. Now, who did it? Religion says, by God. Science says, we don't really know. It just says, it happened. So, let's look at this. First of all, in Genesis, it's really pretty easy to see that... It says right from the beginning that it was created out of nothing. They meet that guidelines, no problem. It's intentional. It's orderly. It's on day one, we do something. On day two, we do something. On day three, we do something. On day four, you fill up what happened on day one. Light was created on day one. On day four, you have objects of light. On day two, you have the heavens and the earth are filled up. And then you have the planets and the animals and Things begin, and day, day, day three is really the animals. But that fills up and man comes on. So you can see it's a descriptive process trying to explain something that nobody could possibly understand back at that time. If the Bible is trying to teach science, no one would have understood it. And I would say that most everybody in the world, even today, could not fully explain the science behind the creation of our universe.
0: You know, one of my favorite little fun facts about our Catholic faith is there are some out in the world who would say, listen, the Big Bang Theory disproves everything you Catholics and you Christians are talking about when you talk about Genesis. But we have to remember who came up with the Big Bang Theory, a Catholic priest. And so a Catholic priest isn't going to come up with something that's contrary to the Catholic faith.
2: you got to recognize that they are asking different questions. Science, as I said, answers the what and how. It gives no background at all as to why this was done or who it was done by. So, science, what does it do? The science says that the universe was fine tunedly begun. And I'll explain what fine tunedly means in a, a couple minutes. It's certainly done over a period of time. It didn't just happen just like that and everything's right here. It's by an unknown means. We call that unknown means God. It was out of nothing before the universe was here. There was nothing where this is. Whether there's other universes, who knows? But we know that our universe was created out of nothing. It was created in an orderly fashion. There is so much order in the universe. At the t equals zero when the universe began, there had to be created all these physical laws gravity, electromagnetism, the forces within the atom had to be created, and they had to have certain strengths, and they had to have a certain time frame that this had to happen, then this happened, then this happened, then that happened. And so it's very orderly. And if any of these things are off, you don't have a universe. You don't have a universe. And we'll talk about fine-tuning in just a second. And is it anthropic? Well, it certainly is. Not only do you have the universe being created, but cosmically it develops. And we end up in a solar system where we are just the right distance away from the sun or just the right strength. We spin around at this point in time 24 hours a day. It used to be three hours a day. Can you imagine that? It used to be much hotter. Well, man came along right at the right time. All these things that had to happen right perfectly at the right time, the other planets being there, they help sweep away things. Our magnetic fields, our tilt, the Earth tilts back and forth to warm the northern hemisphere, then warm the southern hemisphere, warm the northern hemisphere. If it just didn't tilt at all, it'd be very hot in the middle, very cold on the ends. So it's just a neat, neat system that has occurred.
0: So now we're going to get into that term fine-tuningly. To me, it, that's exactly what this sounds like. I like to tinker. I like to work with machines from time to time. And I can't tell you how many little contraptions I've built at home that if I have just one thing off by just a little degree... The rest of it doesn't work. The rest of it doesn't fit. That puzzle won't go together. And so it has to be just right. And that's really what we're getting into when we talk about fine-tuning. Fine-tuning, yes.
2: It has to be really exact. They say is what the studies have shown that if you change the strength of gravity, we all know about gravity. You step on the scale and it gives you a certain number. You step on the scale on the moon and you get a different number. That's because the Earth is much bigger than the moon, et cetera.
0: I like that number on the moon better, by the way. <laughs> not, not that I've been to the moon, but I, I know I like that number better.
2: Yes, it, it certainly is. It would be better. So anyway, if you changed it by 1 and 10 to the 50th. Now, what does 10 to the 50th mean? It means that you change it by 1 and 100 trillion, 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 trillion. If you made it stronger, the universe would never have expanded. If you made it shorter, the universe would have exploded outward, and we would never have formed galaxies and stars and planets and everything. So that's just a teeny little bit. It had to be exactly that or it doesn't work. Same thing works with electromagnetism. If you change that by just a teeny amount, we wouldn't have all the chemical bonds that we have. And... Just other things, the the very size of an electron and the very size of a neutron and a proton, if you change just any bitty bits, you're not going to get the chemistry that we know and love. And there's no reason that these things had to be what they are. Uh, Physicists will tell you that this is what we got, but there's no reason. There's also something called the entropy of the universe. That's the ability to do work the simplest definition. You have high entropy where there's lots of stuff going on you can't do much work. Low entropy, do lots of work. The universe is such an incredibly low entropy at the beginning. It's like zero. It's like perfect order. And that's how the universe started. And then it went out from there. And again, if you change anything of these at all, you don't have a universe. But that's only part of the story. Just because you have a universe, what good does that do unless you fill it up with life? And we talked about the the planets being just at the right place at the right time, and we're at the right time of history and all these things. These things have to be exact. Well, what about life itself? Well, we are learning more and more because we know about DNA. We know that every cell has DNA in it, and it has to be the nucleic acids, the amino acids have to be in a certain order or it doesn't work. And when those things are out of order, what happens? People get diseases and sick. So we just know from simple statistics. If, for instance, just a simple program, if I wanted to flip a coin three times and get heads, 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 how do you figure that out? Well, there's two choices, heads or tails, three times. You do two times two times two, two to the third power, two to the eighth. Well, what if you had just an extremely simple DNA that's 250 letters in a row. They have to be exact. You only have a choice of four different nucleic acids involved. So 4 to the 250th power, it turns out to be like 10 to the 80th likelihood that you'd get the exact order. And if you don't get the exact order, you don't have the DNA. The DNA has to tell the cell how to fix things, how to... Heat, how to metabolize energy, how to create proteins, how to do all these different things. When all this happened, they talk about, oh, we found something, some compounds that are life-building, necessary. But you have to have all these, and you have to have a cell wall around it exactly at the same time. So what's the likelihood? It's 10 to the 80th. Well, just imagine that you have 250, and every second it changed to a new grouping well that's only like 10 to the 17th. You're not even close to having enough time. The universe is far, far too young for statistically random things to happen to create life.
0: That's where I'd like to close because sadly we're running out of time. I could happily sit here and talk with you about this for hours because I am eating this up Dr. Keyes, but when we talk about the statistics the prob- the probability of this happening, you know, when we put this in mathematical numbers, you know, we know those of you that are baseball fans, if someone's batting average is .500, they're batting five hundred, That means that 50% of the time they hit the ball and 50% of the time they don't. If it's .05, that means 5%. So when you're saying, you know, 1 over 10 to the 80th, that's point zero 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 zero, and if I kept saying all of the zeros, we could go out, get breakfast, get lunch, get dinner, get a good night's sleep, come back, do a few more shows, and I'd still be going on with my zeros for a while. So we're talking fractions that we can't even comprehend how small they are. That's the chance that this could just all occur randomly. And I like to think, Dr. Keyes, if there's someone behind this, who better than God who can see and know everything? To put all of this together,
2: and let me just add one more point. Okay, I talk about these numbers, and we talk about evolution. Well, we know that evolution did occur, but is it random or not? The church has long stated that everything is done under God's providence, and that the universe was not created in a final product; it's continuing. This has been a teaching of the church forever. The, the wisdom of the church hits us right on without trying to tell us the science that's involved. So both sides. You learn the, the spiritual, you learn the physical and it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful world to be in.
0: Well, Dr. Keys, this has been absolutely fascinating. We're going to have to have you back. There's so much more I think we could talk about with faith and science, but I want to thank you for being with us today. Again, the book is Discovering the Fullness of Reality, How Partial Truths Obscure the Union of Faith and Science by David J. Keys, Ph.D. Doctor, where could our listeners find your book?
2: In Road Media and all the usual outlets. So
0: available through InRoute Books and Media. You might want to check it out, but like I said, we will have to have you back. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and the chances are very good. We will be back after this break. Thank you. Daily Offering God the Father, I thank Thee for creating me. God the Son, I thank Thee for redeeming me. God the Holy Spirit, I thank Thee for sanctifying me. Infuse into my thoughts, words, and actions Thy grace so that they may be supernaturally pleasing to thee, and supernaturally rewarding to me forever. O blessed Trinity, abundantly assist me in becoming that which thou intended me to become when thou created me. For in thy perfection, I will give thee the glory thou desirest of me, and in that perfection I will find my greatest joy in heaven. Amen. This week, Doug Barry and I have given you several tools you can use, whether it's devotionals, Devotional prayers, sacramentals, the most important of all of the devotions and sacramentals, the rosary. But what if I were to tell you that there is one thing that can wipe away the good of all of that? And they wouldn't matter at all. It doesn't matter how many rosaries you pray, it doesn't matter how many scapulars you wear, how much blessed salt you have, how much holy water you sprinkle around your home. There's one thing that can negate all of that. Doug, what is it? You you know it. Pop quiz here it's dying in the state of mortal, mortal sin, sin. Yeah. yeah and that is the key that is what we hear
3: ultimately when we hear saint paul talking about i drive and discipline myself knowing that after bringing so many to christ of all people saint paul okay we're talking about a premier preacher here right that he may lose out in the end he says so we can commit one grave sin a mortal sin die in the state of unrepentant mortal sin and lose everything now, mortal sin, of course, involves three key factors. It must be a grave matter. We must have full knowledge of it, and we must have full consent to it. And then, you know, of course, you've got to be unrepentant of it. Now, uh, Does that mean if I'm on my way to the confessional, I'm repenting in my heart, I know I need to go to confession, and I die on the way in a car accident, does that mean that I'm not going to go to heaven? But God's mercy extends to the depths of the ocean. We cannot comprehend. He knows your heart, but he also knows if you're blowing it off and you're not taking it seriously. The sacrament of confession is a terrifying, terrifying experience for the demons to watch us go through. Right, I would say a lot of times, you know, confessionals going and smoke's coming out of that confessional because the demons are running, they're fleeing, they're going nuts because people are going in and they're getting the job done. Now, what's more powerful, a confession or an exorcism? Exorcists themselves will say that one good confession, is more powerful than a hundred or a thousand exorcisms, because exorcisms are when the church now steps in and an exorcist steps in with the prayers and the the whole exorcism right, to free the individual who's literally possessed by the demons. But confession is you, me, anybody on their own, of their own free will, walking into the box and humbly acknowledging, I know where I've made mistakes and I need to change, and I'm laying it right here. I'm laying it before God in this moment To that priest who is in persona christi the person of christ the demons hate that you can almost hear them screaming at you tugging at you whispering to you anything possible don't go in you don't need to do this don't do this it's not that important really it's not that big a deal he's just a man who you think you're doing here what just don't they're trying to prevent it from happening it is simply one of the most important things that we should be doing and developing the habit of doing it regularly not every year or every three years or five years
0: every month or every couple weeks even. Back in my youth ministry days, Doug, we used to talk about uh, two realities that first the devil will say, hey, Doug, this isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I know the church says it's a mortal sin, but it's not really going to hurt you. God just doesn't want you to be like him. Go ahead, sleep with that girl, watch that porn, do that gambling, whatever it may be. It's, It's okay. And then once we commit that sin, he's standing there to say, oh, Doug, look what you just did. Look what you did, Doug. There's no forgiving that. You better run and hide. You better be ashamed of that. You don't want anyone to know you did that. And when we go into the confessional and say, all right, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, this mortal sin on this many occasions, boom, it's like a gut punch mm-hmm. to the devil because he doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to shy away from even admitting that we might have screwed up that much. And yet it's a beautiful thing that the church gives us this opportunity that our lord gives us this opportunity to receive his mercy and his forgiveness you know i think we'd be remiss if we mentioned perfect contrition and imperfect contrition that we strive for perfect but even in the mercy of god fearing the loss of heaven and the pains of hell is a good enough motive to go to confession to receive absolution and forgiveness yeah, and that's an important thing to remember.
3: And there are people who will talk about, well, you don't want to do it just out of fear. Well, even the act of contrition, at least the older, more traditional versions speak about, you know, that I, I, I'm i confessing sins. I'm, oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended thee. And I detest all my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. But most of all, because they offend thee, my God, who art all good deserving of all my love. That first part is an imperfect contrition point. I would put it this way. You're driving down the road and you don't speed why don't you speed? Because you have perfect charity for others on the road. You never want to take a chance of an accident happening because you're going five miles over the limit. You don't text and drive because you never want to take the chance of having an accident and hurting somebody. That would be great, but that's not where a lot of people are. They don't speed oftentimes because, oh, there's a speed trap up there. I might get caught, and I don't want a ticket. Or I don't text and drive because someone might see that. Oh, cop could see that, and I get a ticket. If we, If we live with that attitude that I just don't want to get caught, therefore well that's that's kind of the idea here of an imperfect contrition here but people who will say well I'm not going to go unless I'm truly truly sorry just go anyway just go tell god look I'm struggling with this tell the priest I'm struggling with this go 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 and if you have a hard time with confession and I know a good friend of mine years ago had a hard time with going to confession and the priest said to my friend look just go every month for I think it was a year every month for a year let god explain to you why the sacrament that he established is so important for you and him in your relationship with him. Let God do it, because you and I, Adam, can try to say the most profound things, and I don't have a lot of profound things to say at all, I don't think, but we can quote saints, we can quote great encyclicals and writings, and ultimately, the individual, if you're listening right now, and it's been a while since you've been in confession, start going at least once a month, if not every couple weeks, let God explain to your heart from his sacred heart
0: why this is so powerful for the relationship that he wants to have with you all right tomorrow we're going to talk about the greatest gift we have in all of this until then doug berry thank you so much for being with us today thanks adam good to be with you
1: anima christi soul of christ sanctify me body of christ save me blood of christ inebriate me water from the side of christ wash me Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within thy wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from thee. From the malignant enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me, and bid me come to thee, that with thy saints I may praise thee for ever and ever. Amen.
0: We've been talking with Dr. Scott Hahn all week about some beautiful, beautiful titles of the Blessed Mother, whether that's the New Eve, Theotokos, Our Mother. And today we're gonna wrap up, Dr. Hahn, we're talking about Mary as the Ark of the Covenant. And several times in the course of our discussion, you have brought up that there was an Old Covenant and now there is a New Covenant. And we know that in the Old Covenant, what does God give us? Through Moses, he gives us the Ten Commandments, which are written down. The words are written down on stone, and then those stone tablets are placed in a golden ark, and the the people of God carry that ark with them everywhere they go until it is lost in one of the persecutions of the Holy Land, and yet... Yes. Okay, we lost the ark, but now God's going to give us a new ark, and not just a thing, but a person, and that is the Blessed Mother. So I, I'm ready. I, I've got my proverbial seatbelt buckled here for our last day. What do we mean when we call Mary the Ark of the Covenant?
4: Well, you're right in pinpointing the Exodus and how God empowered Moses to be the mediator of the covenant, but also the liberator of the people of Israel. And just taking one step back it's really important for us to see that the new is concealed in the old and the old is revealed in the new but that this is the second of three mountain peaks in the old testament that the early church fathers recognized but so do the ancient rabbis what are the three mountain peaks well the first one we've already touched upon and that is in genesis 1 and 2 and that is creation where we have our first parents and they fall And so we have the prototype of a new Adam and a new Eve and a new creation. The second mountain peak, in some ways, soars above it, and that is the Exodus, when Israel comes into its own existence in a relationship to God, where the covenant is sealed at Mount Sinai following the Passover that brought them into freedom from slavery back in Egypt in Exodus 12. And as you indicated, the Word of the Lord carved in tablets of stone with the finger of God, stored in the Ark of the Covenant, which becomes the holiest piece of furniture on planet Earth. And inside that Ark is also stored the manna that sustained Israel for 40 years after the Exodus. And so, the bread of life and the Word made flesh, this anticipates how the Blessed Virgin is understood to be the Ark of the New Covenant. Before we move into that, though, I just wanted to gesture or indicate what the third mountain peak is, even though I suspect we probably won't be able to get to it, and that is the kingdom. So you have creation, you have the Exodus, and then you have the kingdom of David and the son of David, Solomon, who prefigures Jesus, who is the son of God and the son of David, who is the king of Israel, and like Solomon, he built a new temple that surpassed the old one. And you'll also see that Solomon didn't reign alone, but he had a queen mother. In 1 Kings 2.19, the very day he was crowned and enthroned and anointed, he enthroned his own mother to be the queen. That serves as the prototype for Mary as the queen mother of the new Solomon. But getting back to the second mountain peak, the Exodus, the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all could foresee a new exodus, a new Moses, a new covenant that would bring about a new Passover, but would also bring about the Ark of the New Covenant. And as you mentioned, Adam, the Ark of the Old Covenant was taken by the prophet Jeremiah into hiding right before the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and desecrated the Temple and demolished the sanctuary. And in 2 Maccabees 2, we read about how he took it into a cave and covered it over, and then assured them that it wouldn't be revealed until when? Well, until Harrison Ford found it in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Hardly. No, until the time of mercy returned. But he wasn't just talking about a salvaging project that would go into the mountains and find it in a cave. No, what you discover in the Gospel of Luke, especially in chapters 1 and 2, is this fulfillment. And how does it unfold? Well, you go back to the Old Covenant. To 2 Samuel 6 and 7, when David finished the conquest of the promised land and established the old Jerusalem as the spiritual capital of the kingdom, he did so only with the help of the holiest thing of all, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. And you can see these parallels between 2 Samuel 6 on the one hand and Luke's narrative of the visitation on the other. So that in Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's the same distinctive terminology used to describe how the power of God's Spirit overshadowed the Ark of the Old Covenant back in Exodus 40 and elsewhere. But more especially, Luke pinpoints where Mary went. In Luke 139, she arose and went into the Judean hill country. That's the exact same region in 2 Samuel 6 where David went to fetch the Ark of the Old Covenant. And likewise, in Luke one forty-two, just three verses later, Mary exclaims, she cries out when her kinswoman Mary comes to visit, so that you hear upon Mary's arrival Elizabeth's sense of awe, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? But look closely in 2 Samuel 6, verse 9, you hear David exclaim, who am I that the ark of the Lord should come to me? Likewise, you see in Luke one forty-four. That Elizabeth's joyful response is matched by John the Baptist leaping for joy in utero, just like when David finds the ark of the Old Covenant, what does he do? He dances and leaps for joy before the ark of the Old Covenant. And in another parallel, in verse 45 of Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth pronounces a blessing upon the Blessed Virgin, just as David pronounces a blessing upon the Lord upon discovering the ark you also will discover that Mary remained with Elizabeth there in the Judean hill country for how long? Three months? Well, in Second Samuel 6, verse 11, how long did the Ark of the Old Covenant remain there in the Judean hill country? For exactly three months. We could go on, but one after the other. Practically a dozen different parallels between the Old and the New, between the conquest of the promised land and the establishment of the capital in the earthly jerusalem and here we find the visitation where luke is deliberately showing mary to be the ark of the new covenant and no wonder because she contains not the word in stone as the ten commandments she contains the word made flesh she doesn't simply contain the manna that sustained israel For their forty years in the wilderness that was there in the golden urn stored within the ark of the old covenant she contains the living bread the bread of life the new manna and this with the new exodus and the new moses and the new passover shows that she is the ark of the new covenant and she contains that immaculate flesh and blood of christ who will give himself to us in the holy eucharist as the manna of the new covenant and again we could go on and on and on and what you find here In Scripture, when you're reading the Old and the New in concert, in harmony, an analogy, how the New is concealed in the Old, and how the Old is revealed in the New, you almost can relate to Clopas and his companion in Luke 24, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the Scriptures? Now, Clopas and his companion were not ignoramuses, they knew the Law and the Prophets, But not until the coming of Christ, until the death and resurrection, until the gift of the Holy Spirit, do all of these things come together as being more than coincidences, more than convergences. you really see how the new covenant was anticipated in the old, and the old is fulfilled in a way that goes beyond anything you found back in creation, or even with the first exodus, or even the old kingdom established in the earthly Jerusalem? And all of these things again reach a certain point of climax in Revelation eleven and twelve, where John stuns his readers by describing how he sees the Ark of the Covenant within the temple of God in Revelation eleven nineteen, an ark which has been missing literally for centuries. But instead of describing where you can find it and what condition is it in and how you can fetch it. He goes on to describe a woman clothed with the sun, the moon, under her feet, crowned with 12 stars. Well, that's nice, John. Go back to the woman, but first, tell us where the Ark is. But he's not talking about the Ark of the Old Covenant. He's talking about the Ark of the New Covenant, so he's not changing subjects in the next verse or two. They're in Revelation 11 and 12, when he goes on to describe the woman clothed with the sun, the moon, is under her feet, and she's crowned with 12 stars she is the queen mother of the son of david in the heavenly jerusalem she is the woman whom the ancient serpent attacks because she is the new eve but she is the ark of the new covenant contained you know basically uh, revealed up in the temple of god in the heavenly jerusalem and you can see how all three of these mountain peak events of the old covenant are triangulated or braided in the vision of john so the Blessed Virgin as at once is the New Eve, she's the Ark of the New Covenant, but she's also the Queen Mother of the Son of David, reigning with Him there in the New Jerusalem, the Kingdom of Heaven. And this is what took me, literally, two years of research to conduct as a Protestant, reading the early Church Fathers, open to whatever I would find in Scripture, starting off as a non-Catholic, as an anti-Catholic, but finding myself, Adam, quite honestly, swept off my feet by the beauty and the truth and the power of this compelling vision that Jesus is not only the new Adam, the new Moses, and the new Solomon, ushering in a new creation and a new exodus and a new kingdom, but he does it in and through the Blessed Virgin as the new Eve, as the Ark of the New Covenant, and as the new Queen Mother of the new Solomon. And by the time you get to these chapters at the middle of the Apocalypse, you recognize what the early Church Fathers, again, weren't debating. They were contemplating it. They were celebrating it. They were writing it into their homilies and into their hymns, as well as their letters to each other. And this is why, as a Catholic, we can really say, I am a Bible Christian. Not just a New Testament Christian, but a Bible Christian. That is old and new combined. Not opposed, you know, not in any way at odds, but united in Christ." but also in the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I'll be honest, when I discovered this, it wasn't just filling my head with new truth that was really ever-ancient and ever-new. It was also filling my heart with the love of God that He reveals to Mary and through her to us. Again, we have a mother, a queen mother, because we need one. As wayward sons and daughters, we recognize as brothers and sisters that what unites us is not only a divine father, but this Blessed Virgin Mary, who is the spiritual mother of God's children in what we call the New Covenant, and glory to God in the highest, because I tell you, she, again, does not take anything away from Christ. She does not in any way add anything to Christ. She is the perfect work of her Son, the artist of our redemption. And so not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. Psalm 115, verse 1.
0: Well, Dr. Han, this has been wonderful. And it reminds me that, you know, in the Old Testament, from my limited knowledge, speaking to a scripture scholar here, what did the Israelites do? Whenever they went into battle, they would take the ark with them as the source right. of their strength. And when we go into this spiritual battle, as we've been talking about with Doug Barry these past two weeks, where do we go? Where's our ark? Well, it's the Blessed Mother. Take the Blessed Mother with us as we engage in this spiritual combat day to day. Uh, she for, she brings us the yeah. source of our strength, uh-huh. our Lord. And yeah. uh, what a beautiful thing yeah. it is. Friends, as we've said every day this week, we could go on talking for hours with Dr. Hahn about the Blessed Mother, but I'm going to leave you with some good news even as we wrap up. If you want to hear more from Dr. Hahn about the Blessed Mother, you can actually find a lot more in a book, Hail Holy Queen, the Mother of God in the Word of God. You can find this and more scriptural resources at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology stpaulcenter.com that's stpaulcenter.com Dr. Hahn I can't thank you enough on behalf of our listeners for spending some time with us this week on Roadmap to Heaven
4: What a joy it has been Adam thank you again for the invitation and keep up the amazing work
0: We are going to take a break here don't go anywhere
5: Lovely lady dressed in blue teach me how to pray God was just your little boy. Tell me what to say. Did you lift him up sometimes, gently on your knee? Did you sing to him the way mother does to me? Did you ever try telling him stories of the world? And, oh, did he cry? Do you think he cares if, if I tell him things, just little things that happen? And do angels' wings make a noise? Can he hear me if I speak low? Does he understand me now? Tell me, for you know. Lovely lady dressed in blue. Teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy, and you know the way.
0: This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we're talking about the art of restarting. And here on Thursday, ready to start again with a new thought is Patty Schneier.
6: Well, we're talking about this art of restarting as in when we've made a mistake and we want to press that restart button, start over, or we're in a new chapter in our life. We're starting over with something. It could be relationships. It could be work. It could be so many different things. It could be our goals for our health. It could be goals for working out. It could be all kinds of things to just start over again and again and again. Again. Well, here's something that is, I think, very important because so often when we find ourselves, ugh, I'm at this spot again in my life. I got to start over again. It's so easy to despair, right? I've made a bad decision again. I'm in this place again. Why do I keep making these same mistakes? Well, let's stop doing that ugh thought and beating ourselves up. Father Rossini recommends returning to gratitude returning to gratitude every night if you have to write down a thing a list a thing or two that you're grateful for i love recommending a gratitude rosary where you thank god for 50 things or people in your life if we don't call to mind the reasons that we're grateful then what do we do we end up complaining and grumbling about them so again the enemy is always trying to undo the blessings in our life the voice that says oh my family doesn't really know me or understand me 99 percent of the time that's a lie so even if your life is limited Even if your life is fragile or weak, it's the only life that you have. And if you reject it, waiting for some ideal life to come around, you're flirting with the idolatry of an unreal life that you don't have. And you enter this cycle of cursing your life. So in order to undo that and being stuck, gratitude, gratitude. Now, here's an example. So let's say... I desire a body that I don't have, right? I wish I wouldn't have gained those 10 pounds and I'm stuck here again, I'm at the same place. And I start saying, I wish I had someone else's body. Well, what you're doing is you stop blessing your own body and you start complaining about that body. But it's the only one that you have. Or in marriage, if I'm grumbling and complaining about my spouse, I enter that cycle of cursing my marriage and I'm rejecting what God has blessed me with. So we start waiting around for the perfect marriage. or We start waiting around for the perfect circumstances. And what you're doing is you're not supporting the real life that you have. So turn to gratitude rather than complaining. Take care of treasure and be good stewards of all of God's gifts and then move forward and begin again.
0: Well, there you have it. Less harumphing, more thanking, and move forward. Patty Schneier, what a great dose of encouragement for us today. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be having our Roadmap Roundup. Tim Lucchese and Corey Grizzle will be with us, and we'll also be wrapping up our series on spiritual warfare with Doug Barry. And uh, I'm excited for what comes next with Doug Barry, but you have to wait till next week to find out for that. You know, if there's ever something you'd like us to cover, something you'd like to know more about, well, drop us a line. I'm not going to make any promises, but we're always looking for ideas for the show. What would help you grow in holiness? What would? Help you grow in holiness. That's what we're here to do. So you can always send us a note here at the station by visiting OurCatholicRadio.org. That's O-U-R Catholic dot org. And as I said at the top of the show, if you need a pamphlet of prayers so that you don't get distracted, well, give us a shout that way and we'll stick something in the mail to you. It'd be our pleasure to do so. I want to thank Dr. Scott Hahn for being with us this week. We will not only have each episode up on the podcast, but uh, by tomorrow... Yeah, I'm going to say by tomorrow, we are going to put together a special podcast episode that has all of the Scott Hahn segments together so that you can listen to all four titles of Mary we covered this week in one sitting, if you so choose. Uh, to find the Roadmap to Heaven podcast, just search for it on your favorite podcast app, Roadmap to Heaven by Covenant Network, or another easy way, again, ourcatholicradio.org, O-U-R CatholicRadio.org our dot And you can find Roadmap to Heaven there by clicking on the Programs button. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Speaking of the podcast, don't forget we'll have the full interview with Dr. David Keyes on today's podcast as well, plus the Daily Dose of Encouragement, the Saint of the Day. I mean, there's just so much good stuff you could share with your friends. But don't forget to stay tuned for more great programming all day long here on Covenant Network, helping you grow in holiness throughout the day. For Covenant Network, I am Adam Wright. Thank you for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't forget to pray your rosary today.